if you get this, you won't worry about price. You'll know you'll be right. And you'll go on with your lives and continue to stack and continue to add and have no anxiety. Good morning. This is Vince Lancey, and this is the Arcadia Economics Silver Fix. Hope everyone's doing well, and everyone had a good weekend and a good Father's Day. I want to do something a little different today. Not very different, but a little different format-wise. Uh, some of you may know I am a professor of finance uh, at uh, university, MBA. And every so often, I'll give a lecture uh, a little bit outside the core, whether it be futures and options or over finance or what have you. And uh, the lecture will be on a much bigger picture thing. And what I'd like to do today, because silver is uh, the focus of this lecture, actually, uh, it's a byproduct of other concepts that I've looked at. What I'd like to do today is give the people at Arcadia uh, part of one of those lectures. It's actually a whole lecture, but we're not going to do the whole thing today. And I'll give you some bullet points, uh, but there's a couple things uh, that I'd like to um, uh, clarify up front. First of all, some of the things I say are going to sound disconnected and crazy at first, uh, but the more you listen, the more sense it will make. Kind of like a uh, a picture of dots, and then we will connect them as time goes on. Uh, here's my notes. Here's, here's the total script I have. So just so you know, this is pretty extemporaneous. All right. We're going to establish, the whole point of this is we're going to establish why the silver standard will return. Now, I don't mean that literally, but I do mean the silver standard in terms of pricing. To do that, we must look at what happened in China before which is what you see on your screen right there. Um, that's a, uh, a public version of a post that I did for Goldfix subscribers, which incidentally, by the way, anybody on Arcadia who comes through the YouTube channel and signs up, you'll get two weeks uh, free subscription, maybe more, depending on how quickly you do it. Anyway, so two weeks premium subscription. We must look at uh, what happened in China before on its own silver standard. We must look at that in isolation, what happened there, you know, with China and the various trade partners, the US, the UK, and the rest of the world, what led to its rise and its fall. Uh, we also, what I want to do, and this is where I might lose some people, but I wanna, I wanna just, you know, this is really, really, really important. If you get this, you won't worry about price you'll know you'll be right. And you'll go on with your lives and continue to stack and continue to add and have no anxiety. So let's call this silver therapy. Let's get rid of some anxiety. This is not a bad thing, it's a good thing. You're right, the confidence of your convictions is warranted. So the second part after in isolation in China will be uh, in context of the global trade game the cycles of how it works. Very high level stuff, but you'll start to see stuff a little differently and not so micro. And micro is great. I started micro. I am micro. Um, then we will look at, after looking at China and what it dealt with, with its silver standard, 
and then looking at China in context of what happened during that era, we will then take um, China and its recent changes along with the BRICS, and we will look at the whole situation as it currently exists uh, in the global situation now. So China's behavior then, what happened, why it worked, why silver worked as a silver standard, why it didn't work, <clears throat> why it ended. Uh, we're going to look at what happened back then. Uh, that won't be won't take too long on that. Uh, and then we're going to uh, take the principles we've learned from that and apply it um, here. Okay, so uh, basically the the the, uh, the economic cycle of the world. There's one economic cycle. So let's get started. Alternatively, I have been writing this for a couple of weeks, but people talk about it so much, and I don't want to give you something you've already seen. But here's my take and understanding and extensive experience on eligibility versus registered. I ignored it because so many people were covering it, but I started listening recently and. Uh, some things are lacking. So there's a list of things that I've written about. There's all the stuff that I wrote. Uh, eligible, defined, registered. You know, start as a primer, but I'm not doing that today. Uh, uh, but if you want it, leave it in the comments. Don't forget to like this and subscribe to Arcadia Economics. Uh, leave in the comments, comments if you want to learn more about that or ask questions because that'll help me refine this. But we're not doing that today because I think this is too important. Okay, so the rise and fall and rebirth of the silver standard. The first thing you're going to see is this quote, the tension between centrality on the one hand and competition on the other is probably the oldest of all market structure issues. We're going to, that's going to come into it further on the line. So you can ignore that quote for now. I'm going to bring you to that conclusion. First of all, I mean, in the context of what I said, we're going to talk about China. We're going to talk about China in context of that area, of that area in history. And we're going to talk about China's behavior now and how history is full circle, kind of a Lion King thing. The question that we're going to answer by doing in doing that will be most important to silver people is why is silver so cheap and why or how or what will make that change? And in doing that, I want to just give you a quick analogy. What we're going to do is what I'm going to say to you in two sentences. The United States of America's citizens will get skinnier. How did I conclude that? Because they want us to eat bugs. There's uh, uh, shrinkage in food. There's high inflation. There's a debasement of the dollar. And there's there's a, a, a realization that, that, that we're overeating. So, so all these big, big picture things I'm saying to you, they may go away. I mean, they're not going away. But how they manifest may go away. But in the end, Americans will be skinny again. That's my point. Now, why am I saying that? Because everything that I'm seeing here regarding silver and global trade makes, makes silver uh, the standard again. So gold will be alone. Okay, so enough with that. Enough with the analogy of the analogy. Silver is, I'll just, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of silver porn here. Silver is superior to gold yet priced poorly. Throughout history, silver has been more useful, uh, more plentiful, but still rare enough so that it's actually superior to gold uh, in many ways. In more ways, the more we find out about it. So for example, uh, electrical conductivity, in certain malleability, and well, conductivity is everything these days. There's a lot of other things, but 
uh, one of the disadvantages it has is that it takes more of it to um, to store value than it does for gold. But that's not a comment on silver. That's a comment on gold, right? It's if silver goes up in price, then it becomes more of a store of value. Moving on from that, all right. Silver's industrialization was its death knell as money then. If you think back in the 1800s, uh, when we were on a bimetal standard, as silver, among other reasons, as silver became more um, useful industrially, as we discovered uh, its its uses, uh, it became necessary for it not to be money. You know, use film as an example. You can't have silver be money if silver is used industrially. You just can't. It's not just used industrially, but it's consumed. It's not easy to get back. But we're not going to lecture on that now. Those are the reasons. But that's the reason, by the way, for years I said silver cannot be money again. And valid reasons. But there's other reasons that are bigger now. Okay. Western power behavior proves it. Basically, how the West treats silver proves that point. All right. Another thing that contributes to silver's cheapness, or as a, as, a, as a core driver, is the dollar's power exchange transmission as trade influencers. So what does that mean? It means dollar dominance makes it easier to suppress the price of silver, if that's what you want to do, and they want to do that. We know they want to do that. Exchange transmission. Well, if you control the flow of dollars, not just the creation of dollars, but the flow of dollars, and you run the exchanges, uh, that list the price of the assets that you want to control, then you have a huge effect on uh, the price of the commodity itself. Silver exists in Earth, 15 to 21 ratio, 15 to 20 to 1 ratio. It's priced 80 to 90 to 1. That's not real. That's fabricated. I cannot, I cannot, uh, Overestimate the power of a strong global currency and uh, exchanges transmitting that power. And oil, as an example, uh, I was going to get into that, but I've already digressed enough. Oil is an easier example to understand than silver, but that's that's an example. All right, why is silver <clears throat> repressed? The reasons discussed that we will all see will be trade politics, manipulation, ethics, technology, all are correct, but there's something bigger than that. And if you understand what's going on above that, then you understand it. And if you understand it from the above context, you understand the next paths. And the paths all lead back to silver being remonetized or standardized in monetary use. All right. All of these are related to a simple concept. Here's my bullet. All of these are related to a simple concept, the most important concept in trade and market behavior out of which everything springs. Now, I'm setting you up for the China situation. The tension between, here's a quote again, the tension between centrality and competition is probably the oldest of all market structure issues. Now, what does he mean by that? He means that there are people who want to centralize and people who want free markets. He wants, there are people that want competition, free trade for price discovery, and people who want centralization. There are people who think that manipulation is justified in, in creating better markets, and there are people who don't. There are politicians that want to centralize, 
philosophies that want to centralize and divide, trade in the form of globalization versus, say, mercantilism or fragmented global trade, governance, Democrat, Republican, libertarian, authoritarian, production. In production, there's scalability, which is, which is centralization. Okay, there is a network effect, which is decentralization. Okay, in the military, if you're an army person, you're a centralized military person. You respond to a vertical hierarchy. If you are, if you are in the Marines, you're decentralized. You run on your own. There's a lot of stuff I'm throwing at you here, but it all comes down to this. The fucking world fights. One fight. Centralization, decentralization. Watch. Religion. Uh, uh, the Protestant Reformation was a product of decentralization, right? The church was vertically, uh, the Catholic church, vertical. You ran the church. You reported up the ladder, right? Corporate bureaucracy. And then Martin Luther comes along with the printing press, says, you know what? I'm going to print a Bible that everyone can read. And that decentralizes. So you have centralization and decentralization, constantly fighting each other. Uh, so, and, and you know, behaviorally, it's more control versus less control, scale of production versus flexibility, incumbency versus upstart, legacy versus innovation. Now, this last one here, I want to focus on. Fiat is the incumbency money. It's the incumbent money. It is the champ. It is in control. It influences everything. Commodity money is the upstart money. It hasn't always been that way, but that's what's going on. One of the cool things about scale, which is what fiat has now, scale, network, it has scale and network, phenomenal powers uh, that contribute to its incumbency are uh, also liabilities. When something changes in the world, incumbents, champions, fiat, react slower. They're the aircraft carrier in the water. The aircraft carrier is slow to pivot. They can afford to be slow because they're so powerful. But if they wait too long, they're destroyed. So when a wave comes, you've got an aircraft carrier and a tugboat. The aircraft carrier is fiat. The tugboat is commodities. The tugboat is more flexible. It moves around faster. It's decentralized, right? The aircraft carrier is incumbent. It has benefit of scale. It has a network effect outside of it. It's um, centralized. And the wave is external to the market. The wave comes in and changes everything. The tugboat gets out of the way. The aircraft carrier gets sunk. And it's sinking right now. It's sinking right now. The wave has already hit. It's sinking right now. And the people on board don't know it. It's like, you know, the... A little bit at a time, they're all running towards one in the scene from the Titanic or what have you. Okay, so there you have it. That's the, the, the centralization versus decentralization aspect. China's history with silver. I'm going to touch on that quickly, uh, uh, but it's extremely important. I've written about it. It's on Zero Hedge. It's, it's, it's on Goldfix. Uh, you can read that. But here's what we're going to go on this. I was researching China's history with silver because they had a 350-year silver standard. And the articles that I found had so much bias, uh, Bloomberg, other articles. There was just, it was, it was quite disturbing, actually. For example, 
Bloomberg said, see this picture here? Sorry, I'm rolling around. See this picture here? I added Western pricing monopoly. This picture was used to say the long shadow of silver is a negative on China. And it's, it's moronic. Okay, uh, back to where we were. China's history is silver, in the nutshell, right? We may be editing right before this because I went off. China adopted, China wanted silver more than the West. And during this time frame, where it became important, great picture, by the way. Um, during the Spanish um, ascent to power, China didn't want to buy Western goods. China wanted to get Western silver, right? So we bought Western goods, we meaning the West, we bought Chinese goods for silver and that increased their silver stockpile. The UK was on the silver standard, okay, sterling. And what happened was the, the, silver, the silver supply started depleting. And that got exacerbated by when Spain fell. When Spain fell, less silver was being produced and taken out of South America. They were eviscerating Latin America uh, on silver. At the same time, uh, because, of, because of other problems in China, they stopped uh, consuming. They stopped buying stuff. And what happened was, well, they didn't stop consuming. Let me just let me just correct this, okay? The UK sought to protect itself because it was exporting too much silver and buying too many Chinese goods. So the UK created a good that China wanted to buy, and that was drugs. It was opium. And by doing that, they rebalanced the trade situation. They rebalanced the trade situation, meaning silver stopped flowing into China and started flowing out of China for drugs. So that's how the UK protected its uh, incumbency. See how that works? Incumbency in, in the money. So they started exporting opium, silver started flowing back in, everything's fine for them, right? Not fine for China. Destroyed China. Destroyed China so much that China valuing silver as much, it wasn't really a silver standard then. Valuing silver as much as they did, they created a silver standard. So they said, you can't own silver, it's money. We don't want it leaving the country anymore. They were trying to control the, uh, the opium trade as well as preserve their monetary uh, independence, sovereignty. That didn't work. Uh, it didn't work because Spain collapsed uh, and, and Spain or the, the Latin American countries uh, got independence from Spain or Spain collapsed, however you want to look at it, one, one versus the other. And less silver was coming out. Now, the, the Chinese silver standard uh, came about to protect their money. But at the same time, the rest of the world was, this is the phrase you want to hear, because this is what's happening now in reverse. China was isolated. China was not global. China was self-dependent. China was not global. All it wanted was money. It carried a positive trade balance before the opium thing. The rest of the world innovated, created uh, uh, more efficient ways to do things, and the rest of the world globalized. The globalization created fiat. First, England went to um, the gold standard. Why? Uh, they couldn't get enough silver anymore, so they just changed. 
That's the point. The gold standard exists because the the uh, the English realized that uh, they couldn't hold on to their silver anymore. That's essentially what happened. So the gold standard comes on, and then eventually you have a fiat standard, <laughs> which is implicitly backed by gold or what have you. Uh, and, and those things undermine the value of silver. So China is, if you want to look at it in a negative way, China is hoarding all the silver that no one needs anymore. China no longer owns money. China owns silver. Simultaneously, so while this is all happening, and I don't know why, well, I do know why it happened, but I'm not sure I agree with it. But while this is all happening, U.S., we're talking about when uh, the silver uh, issue in the U.S. happened with, uh, I'm not sure what you call it, but the bimetallism. So the U.S. went off the bimetal standard, and, and I think it was, it was FDR. The silver action group, they strong. They were very strong lobbyists, and they defended silver production. It was a farmer type of thing. And they uh, kept the price of silver up by telling the U.S. that they had to buy silver. And, and the U.S. did. They're very powerful, uh, for probably for other reasons, which I'll get into in a minute. So the U.S. kept buying silver at a higher price than China was willing to pay. Mind you, China was buying silver at a three-to-one ratio on Earth when it was, before then, everywhere else in the world, it was 15-to-1. And in China, it was three-to-one. And so uh, in terms of silver to gold, and that's what was happening. Silver was flowing to China. Gold was flowing out. And so that's why uh, the UK went on a gold standard. That's one of the reasons. Uh, now, China has a depression as a result of this. And because of globalization and their failure to adapt to it quickly for multiple valuable, you know, multiple legitimate reasons. China's too big, no unification, very much like Germany uh, at the time. Uh, Japan's another one that was slow on the globalization play. They were too small, no natural resources, no innovation. I mean, they had to innovate as a result of that. So the curse of, of incumbency, Chinese elites uh, controlled the markets then, US now, boxers forget about that part. So what we're going to bring this all together now. We're going to say that back then, China was on a commodity standard, silver, when the rest of the world was moving towards a fiat standard. Whether you like it or not, that's what happened. Uh, the fiat standard and globalization ascending isolated China, causing a depression. China then had to go off of the silver standard, but having no experience and really no innovation at the time, uh, technologically, you know, they didn't have an industrial age going on. They didn't have an industrial age going on, right? So they can't make stuff uh, for export at a better uh, price than we can, you know, we meaning the West. Right. So what happens is China goes off the silver standard because of the crushing deflationary depression. Their economy wasn't helping uh, the fact that no one else was holding silver. And then they started printing money. Sound familiar? They started printing money and the money was too much floating around. I have charts on that. And um, you had hyperinflation and the hyperinflation created political chaos, and the political chaos gave birth to communism in China. That's it. So you can blame England for communism. You can't. You really, you really, you really can. Uh, you shouldn't, but you really can. 
So, so communism came along and they abolished, well, the silver standard was already abolished, but they did other things. And uh, what you had now is communism uh, uh, eventually realized that the world is globalized. And Mao, after fucking up for how many years? I don't know. In the 1970s, realized he had to integrate into the economy, but still preserve themselves. So what China did was they uh, accepted a conversation with Nixon and in doing so opened up for trade. So they opened up for trade and, you know, the U.S. got its uh, uh, got its cheap labor, you know, and China got its uh, economy going by making stuff for the rich people. And that's how China was included in the global markets. Now, let's fast forward to now. Remember centralization and decentralization? Remember, remember communism and capitalism? Remember globalization and mercantilism? Well, here it is. Here it is. Here's the context of what happened to China then and what's happening in the U.S., the West, specifically the U.S. now, right? You have an era in the black, right? The point is you want to look at this as a circle. And there's many ways to look at the yin-yang, but I, I want you to, I want you to um, uh, humor me and look at it like this. See this here? It's a circle. The birth of commodity-based currency grows and it grows and it becomes huge, excuse me. And at its peak, it gives birth to fiat currency, trust-based fiat. And the demise of commodity-based currency creates the, allows trust-based currency to rise. Trust-based fiat currency rises, 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 peaks, and gives birth to commodity-based currency. Now, this is all based on the concept of that things are circular, what goes around comes around. That's just the Chinese way of looking at it. Now, <clears throat> you're gonna say, you may say to me, you may say to yourself, uh, well, we've only had fiat for, no, 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 no. It's, it's about cheating. Fiat is cheating on natural resource currency, okay? So what I, what I mean is uh, globalization and the abuse uh, or backwards mentality that prohibited um, innovation in, in, in commodities gave birth to tr growing trust. So here we are. So, so you see, this is China. This is China. This is a silver standard right here. This is China failing to realize that the world has changed. And this is, and by the way, it's also, it's also when you get down to the nitty gritty, it's, it's, it's the UK poisoning them. It's the US paying higher for silver. It's all these things that happened because of globalization, right? Globalization is the white. Centralization, uh, globalization is the white. And fragmentation or decentralization is the black. Okay, so at the peak of fragmentation or isolation or mercantilism, you had the birth of fiat currency, and that went hand in hand with globalization. And this is China's demise, right? And now here we are, here, full circle, okay? And now we've got, yes, trust-based fiat currency works, sometimes better than uh, commodity-based currency. And when does it work? It works when there's trust and there's no trust because the West has abused that trust with sanctions, which by the way, that's not new. What's new is we took Russia's money. We confiscated their reserves, I think is how we look at it. So that's where we are. We're here right now. We are at, there are two worlds. 
There is a maxed out white fiat-based globalized currency, and there is a ascendant growing commodity-based currency. Now, there's going to be a period where they coexist, but, but this is what's going on in the world. Now, why silver? Why am I so silver-oriented? Well, look at it through China's eyes. You're the second biggest power in the world. In some ways, you might be the first. You have a shit ton of silver. You also, and we'll, we'll, we'll prove this and explain this in subsequent conversations, if you guys are interested in this. Uh, what's happening is China's appetite for silver has grown. Its supply, its domestic ability to pull silver out of the ground has decreased. They're in like a peak silver situation out there. And they're pulling more and more silver in because while the rest of the world is saying green energy, and China's you know, obviously burning a lot more coal than we are, China's building solar panels. China's capitalist now. China's come full circle. Not only do they have a fiat that the world is in the process of trusting, they can also back it by gold and silver. Now we come back to the centralization thing again. The dollar incumbency, in combination with the ability to broadcast price through US-based exchanges in the world, sets the price for trade. I don't care that it's trading $5 over spot. I don't care that it's trading $10 over spot. Here's the problem, guys. It's trading relative to fucking spot. See, spot is the reference price. Just like in oil, they reference WTI. They reference the Brent basket. It's the reference price, spot, which is LBMA, COMEX, which is USA. They say, okay, it's $5 over. It's within reason. No, no. See, when you change the world currency to something other than the dollar, then you're no longer saying, what is it in spot? When you say, what is it in spot? You say, what is it in US spot? What is it in Renimbi spot? What is it in Ruby spot? See, when you change the currency, you change the reference point. It's all about the reference point. And that's why the COMEX is king. And you're going to see, I'm going to go into the next conversations we have, not today. You're going to see the Shanghai Futures Exchange, the physical demand, the pricing there, and how pricing, it's all about pricing, remember the phrase pricing power? Pricing power is what we're talking about here, right? It's, it's trading places, right? The price is settled when it closes, right? And when the guy says, turn those machines back on, he's saying, open the exchange for price discovery. Now, what happens when the COMEX price discovery mechanism shuts down? The world would freak out, but not if there's a replacement, and not if that replacement's trading in dollars. And here's what's going to happen, guys. The replacement's going to trade in whatever, dollars, I'm sorry, it's trading in yuan, right? So it's going to trade in yuan, and like, oh, well, yuan, dollars, you have to do a currency swap. I've done this trade, uh, not, not in Chinese yuan, I've done it in, in yen. I've done a dollar, yen, gold trade. I've done that. It's, it's happened. You basically trade on three different exchanges. It's expensive. What's going to end up happening is someone's going to say, it's already happening now. It's been happening for years, but it's going to happen in a bigger way. Someone's going to say, wait a minute, gold trading here at this price in yuan and here at this price in dollars? Well, what if I convert my yuan to dollars or my dollars to yuan? You won't convert dollars to yuan here. They won't let it because the U.S. wants to protect its franchise. 
in China, they'll do a yuan dollar swap eventually, right? If they haven't already. And when you do that and you, you ease capital controls, you'll start seeing the price of yuan, the demand in China take effect in the COMEX. And that's by the way, guys, why metal is leaving the West. It's like, oh, oh, I can't buy the metal in the US because I need to settle it in yuan and that's in dollars. And I can, oh, okay, okay. Well, well the, the Shanghai exchange says, well, let's do a dollar uh, yuan swap. And now guys like me are on there going, okay, buy it from the US, take it here, swap yuan for dollars, get a haircut, trade, deliver. It's over. That's what's going on right now. Okay. And it's going on not because of guys like me, even though guys like me understand it, it's going on because they need the silver. They want the silver. They need the silver for solar panels or for whatever else it is they're making. They want the silver and trade, specifically demand for commodity determines price. Not yet, eventually. And when that trade gets big enough that it can no longer be contained, which is what's happening now, it starts to affect supply on the side and that metal starts coming over, coming over. And it's been doing that for 10 years, but it's only noticeable now to the naked eye, coming over. And eventually the exchange in China goes, well, screw it. This is a lot of business. Let's create a product that allows convertibility from dollars to yuan. Now there's gonna be reasons they won't do that for a while, at least not in a, in a, in a free market way. But what ends up happening is the guys like JP Morgan, right? They say, oh, you want to buy silver in China to make solar panels? Well, we have it over here. We'll take care of the yuan dollar thing. And the silver starts to go. And you see the FX transactions on JP Morgan and companies like that start to increase because they're doing the arbitrage and they're brokers. That's how it works. So um, that's the end of, I guess we call it part one. What made the West fiat work, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So that's basically it. What I, so what I wanted to bring home today is, is, is just to, to recap, is the silver standard worked for China. It worked too well, so well that the UK had to prevent it from continuing to working by creating a balance for the trade using opium. And then when that wasn't enough, they just went off of silver. And mind you, that's because they were also prepared to be global. So China's inability to globally integrate itself, combined with the UK's and, and the West in general's inability to hold on to its money, which was silver, right? Made them break from silver while they locked it in, right? So that caused inflation here at first and depression there. But the innovation over here in the West brought the inflation back down and the, 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 the decoupling from silver drove inflation higher. Now, this is a lot to absorb. The takeaway is this, is what happened in China after a 350-year silver standard is happening now in reverse in the West, okay? Centralization, which actually is globalization. You're centralizing control. You may be trading globally, but control is centralized under the dollar. It's being replaced by yin and yang. is being replaced by decentralization or fragmentation, or your currency, your currency, your currency, your currency, enabled by the ability to centralize the risk of money, silver, gold, while simultaneously allowing sovereignty and independence. I don't need to use dollars. 
I can trade in my own name. I don't need some other currency. I can use rupees or whatever. Now, whether that works or not is irrelevant. And the point is, it is in the U.S.'s interest to keep the price of precious metals and commodities down in dollar terms, because that creates the spot price that the rest of the world gets sucked into. Now, China's not getting sucked into it anymore, right? You're not getting sucked into it anymore, but there's millions of people in the world who look at that price to go, that must be the price. I'll sell it at that price. And every time they sell it, guys are just going, buy them, buy them, and then selling it to China. They have access like you do and other people don't. So five years from now, the price of silver will be triple, quadruple, quintuple. That's not enough for you? Well, then, you know, get a job, right? You need to do things while your investments work for you. Silver will work for you. You have to work for you. So that's it. The second part will be about specifically, we'll get into specifics, talking about how uh, silver is physically being accumulated by China uh, separate from gold for multiple reasons and why that will break the lock on silver pricing in the uh, West. I'm Vince for Arcadia Economics. Uh, have a great day.